Please join me in the prayer for elimination. Let us pray. Spirit, lead us into trust that's without borders. Let us walk upon the waters wherever you would call. Take us deeper than we would willingly wander in the reading of your word. Make our faith stronger and increase our desire to share it with others. Amen. The scripture is Matthew 18, verse 15 to 22. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree, lose, do you agree on earth and about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So all throughout this month of November, uh, we've been talking about evangelism. And we've kind of surrounded ourselves with these images of water and the beach to remind us of that story. That first calling of the disciples where Jesus said, come and I will make you fishers of people. Inherent in our call to be disciples of Christ is a call to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And as intimidating as that can sound, we, we talked last week about what if evangelism was just the ability to answer three questions. Why do people need Jesus Christ? Why do people need the church? Why do people need this church? So as I started thinking about why do people need the church, capital C, the church universal, it's a little hard to kind of get into. Of all the three weeks, this is sort of the most abstract to really dig into. And so I started playing around on a site called the Barna Group. Some of you may have heard of them. They do lots of statistical research, particularly around areas of faith. And what got me in there was a friend had posted a really interesting study that interviewed several groups of millennials, so really young, 30 and under, kind of 18 to 30 age. Um, and they'd asked them about what they like in the physical spaces of churches. Now, some of these were churched people, people who attend church fairly regularly. Some of them were people who go kind of Christmas and Easter. Um, but one of the groups that they really focused on was what they called unchurched, so people who don't have a regular church home. And they would show them four sets of pictures. They'd show them these giant stadiums with the lights and the theater seatings and the, the rock band ready to go. And they'd show them the neo-Gothic cathedral with its stained glass 
windows and its giant crucifix behind the altar. And they show them the kind of blank box, right? Simple room, no decoration, simple table. They show them the really basic kind of Protestant Reformation, white walls, wood ceiling, one Bible, one cross, two candles. This sound familiar? And they were a little surprised by the results. When they asked them which one, which sanctuary looked most like a sanctuary, overwhelmingly, those who do not attend church chose either a Protestant Reformation, white walls, wood, fence, Bible, church, cross, Bible, candles, cross, or the neo-Gothic cathedral. That to them is what a church looks like. And when they asked them, you know, look at the altar. Which one would you be most comfortable with? Which one really invites you into worship? Again, overwhelmingly, they chose the two altars that featured strongly Christian symbols. Even people who don't have a strong connection to church wanted to see the Bible present. They wanted to see the cross present. And when they started asking them about why, it boiled down to this. They wanted to know what they were getting into. They wanted the church to be the church. Now this defies a little bit of the logic that a lot of churches have been using to be attractional for the last 20 or so years. And it started, it started kind of to, to push at me a little bit to think about some of the things I have been told about the church and about those who consider themselves unchurched. Um, so I started doing a little more reading. And there's a great resource out there. I'll, I'll quote a few numbers at you today, but if you really want to know more, there's a book called Church Less that compiles all these great findings from the Barner Group. It's really, it's easy to read. It's accessible. But they started talking a lot to people who, who don't have a church home. And they sort of found out that the old myth that we thought about young adults in the church isn't true. Um, You've heard this story, right? A kid grows up in church, we baptize them, we put them through confirmation, they do the youth group in high school, and then they go to college. And, and yeah, maybe they float away from the church, they experiment, they find themselves, but when they have kids, they'll come back, right? You've heard this story? Yeah, it, it used to work like that. Um, but the numbers are increasingly saying that they float away after 18, and they never come back. Peter showed you a couple of graphs uh, during the stewardship campaign. One had uh, agnostics and atheists. It's actually a pretty small percentage of our population. But then there was this big strike ascending over the last 10 years. These are the people we call the nuns. Unlike atheists, who sort of don't agree with religion, think there is no God, will fight hard against what religion has done, or agnostics who are kind of actively questioning, is there a God? Should I be in church? The nuns really don't care. It's not that they haven't found a church that fits them. It's not that they're looking for something different in worship than they grow up with. It's that church doesn't register on their radar. And when you start to poke deeper 
into the numbers, it's not because they don't have an experience. One in 10 unchurched folk are what truly constitutes unchurched. They have no experience, no significant experience with a church home or with Jesus Christ. So like they maybe have come to a wedding or a funeral, but they're not even here Christmas and Easter. That's one in 10. That means nine out of 10 church folk, non-church folk, are actually what I like to call de-churched. They've been here, they've experienced a church, but at some point, it just became irrelevant for them. I've met a couple of these people along the way. Um, One of them, and I told him I was gonna throw him under the bus, is my husband. Um, He grew up in an evangelical Baptist home, actually mixed evangelical Baptist and Catholic, did the whole yay raw Baptist thing in high school, was a big part of the youth group, went to a Christian college with me. Um, But he'll be the first one to tell you that the reason he continued to attend church in college was because he was in a program called Church Careers, um, where he had an internship. So essentially, he got paid to be in church. (laughs) Sans that, he probably would have floated away. And after he graduated and moved to Florida, he tried church for a little while, um, but he kind of looked around, and he was pretty much the youngest person by like 20 years. Um, And most of the things they talked about or did just didn't fit where he was. And so it kind of slipped down the priority list and down the priority list. And he might not have come back had he not married this girl that made him move to Houston, Texas. Uh, She kind of makes him come. Um, He's not alone. Uh, He had a good friend growing up. We'll call him Gary. And Gary was president of the youth group. Gary did all the major evangelism events, right? Served on the Acquire the Fire team. Gary was all into it. And then somewhere in the midst of college, he realized he hadn't been to church for a while. It had just kind of, you know, gotten run over in the papers and the, and the things to do. But he kind of started to think, well, if I haven't been for a while, and it hasn't made a difference, then did it really matter all that much to begin with? And it made him question a lot of that great involvement he'd had in high school. He's like us. He's in his 30s. He hasn't found his way back. And then there's Cassie. Uh, Cassie is someone that I knew really well in college. I ran into her at Patrick's 10-year reunion recently. She and I were on the dance line together. We were in church careers together. She was an incredibly faithful person. And to this day, she will still describe herself as an incredibly faithful person. But she got married, and she had a baby, and she just couldn't get her head around where the church was going. It just felt like sandpaper too often, and so she stopped going. And it didn't really make a difference. And so she hasn't come back. She keeps up with friends, articles, and the things that we post, the Bible verses on Facebook, but that's how she does spirituality now. 
She is one of these people who will say one of my least favorite phrases in the world. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Have you heard this phrase from somebody in your life? Um, actually, it's a, it's a pretty widely known phrase now, and the reason is that 65% of unchurched people will describe themselves that way. They are deeply spiritual. They just don't go to church. They are the kind of people who have no problem with God or Jesus Christ. It's the church that's gotten in the way. Now, as somebody who does a lot of theological reading, this kind of grates on my soul a little bit. Um, Stanley Hauerwas will tell you that if God is father, church is mother, right? For me, it doesn't matter if church is wonderful or terrible, it's part of the package, right? It, some of you who are married, you have couple friends, right? And, and maybe you started out really good friends with one person in the couple. Maybe you're still only really good friends with one person in the couple. I won't tell. That's fine. Um, but the other person sort of comes along. You can't invite just one half of a couple to dinner, right? That's weird and awkward. You can't invite just one half of a couple to go to Disney World with you, they come together. No matter how crazy or boring or just unfathomable that other half is, when you get one, you get the other. I think it's kind of the same way. If you invite Jesus to dinner, you gotta invite the bride too. They come together in a packaged deal. Now, we've gotten this a little bit wrong about unchurched folk. Um, we have chased them and chased them and chased them, thinking that it's just that they haven't met Jesus, or it's just that they haven't found the right worship song, or it's just that they haven't gotten the right program. We think that they're so different from us. But the numbers tell us that, in fact, they're not. You ask church and unchurched folk, What's the number one goal in your life? Number one for both groups is the same. To live a healthy life, to be physically healthy. Number two is the same. To raise children well. It's not till you get to number three that there's a split. Unchurched folk will say it's to be financially stable. Churched folk will more often than not say it's spiritual fulfillment. By the way though, financially stable is number four for church folks. So again, we're really not that different. We want the same things. We're focused on the same things. And the older unchurched folk get, the more that spirituality creeps up the scale. See, they will say, I'm spiritual, not religious. They recognize that place in themselves that needs God, that needs something higher than them, that needs a calling beyond their own life. But somehow church doesn't sit right. These are the things we've gotten wrong about unchurched folk. Now, to be fair, there are things that they get wrong about church, which personally is why I think they're not here. See, 
Adam Hamilton did a, a series not too long ago called When Christians Get It Wrong, and he repeated over and over and over again this fact, that when unchurched people were polled about what they thought about churched people, three words came up again and again and again. Church people are judgmental, hypocritical, and anti-gay. That's the picture that's out there of us, y'all. That's what they think. When you say the word church, big C, judgmental, hypocritical, and anti-gay. And that's why we went to this Matthew passage today. Now, I'll confess, this one was a struggle for me. When we picked this like three months ago, this planning ahead thing, when we picked this, we kind of thought this might be Peter's Sunday. And you have heard Peter say these words more than once, I bet, right? Where two or three are gathered, or when your brother or sister wrong you. Anybody heard those words come out of Peter's mouth before? Yes, I'm seeing the heads nod. Um, this is one of his favorite passages. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, this will be a great Sunday for Peter. And, and then we kind of worked through the schedule, and it came back around, and, and I started looking at it, getting him prepared for today, realizing I was going to have to take it on. And it kind of bummed me out. Because <laughs> I thought, wow, if I'm going to talk about church, there's, you know, there's these soaring passages in Ephesians about how we bear one another's burdens and we take care of one another. And these are great moments in Revelation where we talk about there will be no tears cried and no pain. But then I looked at the question again. See, the question that we're answering isn't, why do people want church? The goal here isn't to give you the warm fuzzies about this place. It isn't to light a fire that others will come to, because we've proven that doesn't work. The question is, why do people need church? If the question was, why do people want church, then we have the answer. Right? If all we had to do was give them what we want, then we could teach all the Zumba classes, all the yoga classes, and all the parenting classes you could handle, and people would come through the door. Right? Okay, I've been in those churches. They don't come through the door. It's not about what they want. It's about what they need. And this Matthew passage is about what we need out of church. Peter, Jesus has been asked a question by Peter and the disciples. How many times do I have to forgive? It's essentially, um, so we're doing a lot of life together, and sometimes we're going to mess it up. Uh, how do we deal with that when we don't get along so well? <coughs> and Jesus gives him an answer that kind of comes in three parts. He says, first of all, you have to be a community of reconciliation. He says you have to practice forgiveness well. You have to hold one another accountable. And you have to hold one another before Christ. That last one is the, is the warm fuzzy, right? Where two or three are gathered, there I will be also. It's that phrase we've quoted so often that reminds us when the night is darkest, when I feel farthest from Christ, when I don't think I can get there, the church surrounds me. The church upholds me. The church prays even when I can't, 
and holds me before Christ. It's that wonderful glow of being in community. (laughs) But there's a reason the wonderful glow is at the end. Because being in community is hard, right? Given, left to our own devices, we will generally go our own way. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? We think if we work harder, that everything will get better. But the truth is, when we're left on our own, we like to do our own thing. We like to have our own way. We like to make sure that we are happy, that those who live in our house are happy and taken care of. Sometimes we do it well, but more often than not, we start tripping over these little things called greed and selfishness and pride. Left to our own devices, we will not choose community because community runs against everything that is in our nature. And yet community is everything that makes us better. I would argue it's everything that we need when we get to that place where chasing after our own wants has broken us down. There will come a place where chasing after what we want hurts someone else. Maybe hurts someone that we really, really care about. What do you do? Is it enough to say, I'm sorry? Sometimes I'm sorry doesn't get heard well. This is why Jesus starts giving instructions, right? If someone has wronged you, you go and tell them. You don't wait for I'm sorry. You don't let it sit and fester, because that's what we'll do, right? Well, it's their job. It is their job to come and tell me sorry. Y'all, that kind of resentment, disdain, What's, what's the good little Pinterest moment? Um, it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It doesn't work. What the church says instead is instead of waiting for them to come and apologize, you go. And like a good brother or sister in Christ, we name sin for one another. We've all been there. We've all done it. We'd all like to hide it when we screw up. What the church gives us the gift of is saying, I have seen where you have wronged, and I welcome you back into relationship. And if they won't hear it, you go get more people to come and surround them and say, look, it's okay. We know that you made a mistake. We still love you. We still want relationship. This is an incredibly difficult and incredibly important practice, this ability to name sin for one another. Because we won't do it for ourselves. It's not comfortable, it's not happy, and it's a lot easier to just go about our business and pretend that when I said sorry, that that covered things. Church holds us to a higher standard of accountability. But it doesn't do that by judgment, right? What were the three words they think were hypocritical, judgmental? This is not about judgment. Judgment is God's job. What we do when we name sin is open the door 
for reconciliation. We need church because we all need communities in which reconciliation can happen. There's a great pit bit of Klingon that I thought of in this. I won't even lie. Peter said it and I stole it. Um, so Klingons will say, if you don't know what a Klingon is, come ask me later. Uh, <laughs> Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, you die. Uh, most of us would like this, right? There, there's a place at which I will forgive you the first time and then we're done. Or maybe it's the second time and then we're done. Maybe the third or the fourth. For most people, there's a point at which forgiveness runs out, at which we've had enough, that relationship has burned me too many times, and I'm done with it. Left to our own devices, most of us will say there's a point at which someone has burned a bridge with me and it cannot be rebuilt. And Jesus says, that's not what church is. Jesus says, you don't forgive seven times, which is a perfect number for him. You forgive 70 times seven. You go beyond perfect and perfect again. You keep doing it into infinity. Jesus says that in this place, if nowhere else, it doesn't matter how many times we've screwed up, how many times we've said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing, forgiveness will be extended. You can't tell me that there is a person alive that doesn't need that kind of space in their life. You can't tell me that there's a person alive who will eventually do or say something, who will break a relationship in some way and want a space where forgiveness is always extended, where relationships are always mended, where the family is never so broken that it can't be put back together. The question is not, how do we tell people why they want to be in this space? The question is, how do we offer them a space they so desperately need? Because they have already told us what they want out of church, right? Unchurched people want church to be church. They don't want it to be the social club. They don't want it to be the daycare center. They want you to do what nobody else in the world is going to do for them. They want you to give them Christ, and they want you to give them a space in which Christ's teachings are actually part of real life because nowhere else in the world is going to do that for them. Part of our series this month has been to identify those stories in our own life and how we can share them with others. So just like last week, in a minute, I'm going to invite you to find somebody, a partner you didn't arrive with, doesn't live in your house, and just share with them what was one time when church was really important? What was a time when you needed this kind of place. We're going to set a clock at five minutes, so these don't have to be long stories, but step out of your comfort zone a little bit. 
share with someone in this place. And after you've each had a chance to share, we're going to invite you to come to one of the two small stations set up on either side of the sanctuary to touch the water, to remember your own forgiveness in baptism, and to take a piece of sea glass away with you. Think you can do it? All right, I'm going to signal Barry, who's going to put five minutes up. Find a partner. Why is church important for you? All right, if you were here last week, you got an assignment, right? You're going to find somebody who doesn't have a church home and just ask them why. Give them a chance to tell you their story, right? If you haven't done that yet, you got another week before we talk about it. But if you have, and you're looking to take a next step, you have a piece of sea glass, right? Okay, so it's store-bought sea glass, as Grace pointed out to me. But originally, sea glass was this stuff that got broken, and then it got tossed around, and all the edges whittled off. It got beaten up, and then it finally washed up on shore, and people will pick it up, and they will make beautiful things out of it. So as you pray this week, ask God if there is a person in your life who is kind of like a piece of sea glass, who might not have a church home, who's gotten broken off from the hole, who may have gotten battered around a little bit, but still has something beautiful about them. Pray about that person, and if there's a place, share this with them and tell them why you think they need Jesus, why you think they need the church, and invite them to be a part of this church home. And I think we're going to continue in worship by singing together our wonderful song, We Are the Church. Go now into the world, still as the church united. Reach out to those who haven't found their place here yet and be the church for them. Maybe not what they want, but what they need. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.